Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Ben, Lachlan, Justin and Jasmine. This week we talk about antibiotic resistance, what it means, how we end up in this circumstance in the first place, and what can we do to actually improve the antibiotics that we have and prevent resistance from happening in the future. We also meet more of our presenters in the Who's Who of the Grange Point segment. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. Lachlan, you understand that so antibiotics is a huge issue that we have in society, right? So yeah. what are the challenges that we face with antibiotics at the moment? Okay, so um, the biggest challenge we have is with the overuse of antibiotics, which basically um, means that um, if you use drugs to kill bacteria, you're eventually only going to have bacteria that can't be killed by drugs. Because either the bacteria that's left us, either the ones that can't be killed by the drugs, or they've evolved a resistance to it through the power of repeated exposure and evolution. Bacteria are amazing um, at evolving through natural selection um, because they can um, multiply so quickly and they can mutate so quickly. And as well, a lot of them actually um, have a lot of kits to give each other different resistances. Like like swapping trading cards, they can actually give each other multiple resistances and also make themselves more pathogenic and deadly. They swap those. I didn't realise that um, bacteria were like having like a draft, like the NFL yeah. draft. Like, yeah. Well, we need some more players. You guys have a poor field this year, so we'll give you some more resistance people and you can like improve. Exactly. So you have crosstalk between like different strains of influenza, which is a virus, not a bacteria. Yes. Um, or even um, different diseases and bacteria altogether. You can actually have them crosstalking and comparing notes and avoiding detection. That's phenomenal yeah. and terrifying. Yeah. So, like, one of the major inventions in human history is the discovery of penicillin and antibiotics because it means that we can not die of things like a fever, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> has generally increased the life expectancy of humanity and one of the major advancements in medical history. Um, that's great. However, one of the things we're finding right now is that these resistant ba- resistant um, bacteria are really a major problem for us. And this has caused, I don't know if you've noticed, um, even the government now is advertising on, on um, buses, bus stations, posters, billboards, websites, newspapers. It's called the Department of Common Sense, and they do a whole bunch of different ads for silly stuff um, uh, to tell you to, like, have general good health and good public practice. And one of those is, you know, to not take a million antibiotics if you don't actually need them like having an antibiotics is not the solution to anything the reason most of them are developing antibiotic resistance is not because of overuse it's mostly because of agricultural practices so um in farms if you want a cow to be more productive you want to give it um stuff that will make it resistant to bad pathogens um and then people who are eating the cow or something may but take that up. And they're actually concentrators. Like, so what happens is that the cows have it, and then we process that meat, and we do something with that meat, and then you sort of concentrate the exposure of that chemical through the, the food chain, through the ecosystem. So um, this also happens the other way with like um, mercury, yeah. mercury and fish, right? And DDT. Yeah, exactly. It concentrates up the food chain and the food web, and all of a sudden you get humans with these doses for it. All the bacteria gets the resistant bacteria suddenly goes, oh, hang on, you know, I'm dealing with all this cow stuff, and I'm starting to get a lot of exposure to it from that. And that's one of the big challenges. So the United States Congress, I know, has done a lot of work in trying to legislate on this but not actually having much success because how do you tell farmers to let some of your cows die? <laughs> in order to, you know, make sure that we can not die of fever. 
It's Try sound- not to overdose your... Not just overdose, just give general doses of things to your animals. It sounds like lazy pathogen, pathogen control. Isn't this why we need the next generation vaccine stuff like microcubes, which are basically... um, They're small molecules made of three-dimensional networks of insect shells. Um, and for some reason, mammals hate that. Like, mammal immune system, it just goes, BAM! I have to fight whatever I'm being delivered. And so you, we've got a new generation of really specific, really um, strong vaccines. So I think there's a lot of potential in the future to be vaccinating against these um, pathogens rather than having to use all these antibiotics all the time. And we may not even need needles to inject um, vaccines anymore. They've developed um, nano... nano Like carbon nanotube or nanofibers? Don't or... they have, like, air suppressor ones that they kind of just... You know, this is like a thing with mini tiny needles, right? So you don't even feel it. And it's like, oh, nano patches. Yeah. You just put it on the skin and then you don't feel it. Yeah. And that's a great delivery. So the problem with this is, in general, that we have stuff that is becoming more resistant to antibiotics. We have bacteria that is suddenly like, hey, great, you know. I, I can't be killed by the thing you're trying to kill me with. I'm just going to hang out here for a number of reasons, as we talked about the um, the fast reproduction cycle, the fact that they trade secrets and build their strengths and weaknesses, and the fact that there's ex- there's lots of exposure to it through things, food chain and agriculture. Um, but we can solve this, and this is one of the things that I just realised the other day, and I was reading a news story by some studies being done at Yale University, and the fascinating part is there are two types of bacteria, right, that we choose for, make, uh, for making things like antibiotics. One of them is the culture, cultured bacteria, the high-class bacteria, the ones that can hang out and grow and thrive and foster themselves in petri dishes. We call them culturable bacteria or cultured bacteria because they can be grown in petri dishes. We can mass produce them, we can mass replicate them, which enables us to grow them in commercial quantities for antibiotics. Talk about stuff like bioreactors and stuff Correct, like yeah, that. Correct, yeah. So that's that's important, right? So we, we can do that, right? And so we developed antibiotics using the bacteria that can do that. We then ignored all these other bacteria that are out there because we can't grow them in petri dishes and we can't mass produce and we can't manufacture back, um, antibiotics with them. So we just, we wiped them off as a, as a, as a prospect. They can't be cultured because they are and a lot of them can't be because they, just the way that they work is not actually ways that are usually reproducible. And not commercially feasible. Yeah, I mean, you could maybe you could grow a few of them, but not mass produce them, which is challenging. There's a specific brand called the uh, te- Taxolactins, I think, um, which are a type of um, type of bacteria that's commonly found in soils, and their entire family of bacteria out there. And what they've discovered, these researchers have discovered, is if you try and replicate and grow them. In a petri dish, they won't do it. They're unculturable, uncultured. They, they don't like growing in these nice, clean laboratory environments. So what they've done instead is they've taken them and said, fine. So they have these they, bacteria called the texolactins, and what they do is they, um, they said, okay, well, instead of growing you in a lab, why don't we return you to your natural environment? So they made a lab on a chip that they put into the soil, and it, it grows and it cultures them fine. They just basically bury it in their backyard in the soil where it comes from, and it mass produces to commercial levels, just like you would with a cultured bacteria, inside a lab. And that's absolutely fascinating that you could... So it's a taxobacter that, that, that do this. And it's, it's absolutely hilar- uh, not hilarious, but amazing that 
we've just broken open this area of research because before we couldn't even find a way to, to grow them to levels we could study or work on them. But if you actually are able to grow them somehow, then all of a sudden you have a whole new area of bacteria you can explore, study and even work into antibiotics. This feeds into the idea of the dark, the dark biosphere. The dark biosphere. Have we talked about that? I thought we is talked about is that. Is this like the shadow realm? For it's basically the shadow realm. Um, it's where there's a theory that some stupid um, majority of microbial life that we come in contact with, we can't be aware of because we can't grow it in laboratory conditions. So it will die before we can grab it enough to thrive. Um. It's, it's, it's kind of like the adage of you can't measure what you can't see. Exactly. <laughs> so you, you can't see it. You, you don't know what's out there. Exactly. So like what we're talking about with black holes or like with dark energy and stuff, it's, it's a thing you can't measure. But I think there is some math that is sort of pointing to the probability that there is a lot of um, microbial life and probably a lot of secrets to life and a lot of really interesting biotechnological discoveries we can't really use because we don't have the techniques. So the uh, company that made this, well, one of the one of the people that made these chips to to grow these uncultural bacteria, they they grow it on an eye chip, which is what we need in this world. More things named eye. Um, it isolates and helps grow the actual the single cells of these bacteria. And um, the company that makes it Novobiotic. Um, they've actually collected about fifty thousand different strains of uncultured bacteria, and out of those, all those new bacteria from the Taxobacterium family, they've found probably twenty five new potential antibiotics. Which is crazy. That's a huge amount. We, we, we are running out of antibiotics, and this is good news for everybody, particularly doctors um, and anyone working in hospitals, because the fear of golden staff and a staff infection can basically mean that you can turn an entire hospital into a place which is stuffed. None of their normal treatments for making things clean work. None of those things making things sterile really works, and it sends them back 60 years. Uh, speaking of which, we just discovered this bacteria that lives in detergents and soaps and stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so what does it do in the detergent and soap? Like, I don't know. It just hangs out? But that's the reason it keeps on spreading throughout hospitals and stuff, because it's living in the cleaning equipment. Yeah, that, that's, that's the ultimate irony of, like, we make these things to uh, clean ourselves, and they kill 99.9% of all germs, and you're like, fantastic, but... What about that 0.01 who's just hanging out inside the soap itself? And those claims are never true. Like, we tested them and it was maybe 2% or something. So what did you do to test them? Oh, in our micro labs, we, um, we didn't wash our hands and then we... Put them into agar solution? Yeah, yeah, and then tried it after uh, washing them with soap and Dettol. Dettol was the worst thing. <laughs> and soap, soap increased the number of bacteria in your skin because it kept on... Getting off the... The surface uh, layer. Yeah, and it was so much underneath. That's terrifying. I used to think a lot about um, how we deliver soap. I mean, we're having more and more hands-free methods, but a lot of the time you... Push a press pump. a thingy. Yeah, and this is even in my, like, my PC2, um, like, this is by law. We can't have any living creature come out of this laboratory. And yet we're washing our hands with normal soap. And we have to press a pump that everyone else has pressed. It's really scary. I just found it so funny when they, like, when um, swine flu happened. I was at university at the time. I'm glad you found that funny. <laughs> when swine flu happened at the university at the time, they, they sent out emails saying, you know, this is, this is a pandemic, we've had some outbreaks in Melbourne, um, to be aware of, we're putting in these um, hand sprays. 
and antibacterial hand sprays in the entrances to all major buildings. And they're not hands-free hand, so the thing that you have to press to get contact to get the exposure. So the whole concept of that, as you were saying there, this is not just in a clean lab. Like We're doing this as a public health measure, and they don't even work, and they have problems, and also you're spreading things anyway, because now you're making sure that everybody touches the same The point. same thing. <laughs> those hands-free, like, airboy hand dryers are really good, but people don't use them properly. You're meant to, like, use, like, put your hands in for 30 seconds, like, 10 up and down, but no one does that. But if you do that, it's... I think we have an instructional class. I think a, a serious public health meta- measure... Is, this is all a really serious public health discussion. Um, just a class which is basically how to look after yourself and keep yourself clean. I think so many people miss so many basic things about hygiene, and it is so important. I mean, your immune system is pretty robust, but um, we have a growing responsibility to be ethical and to be hygienic to make sure other people don't get sick. I too have a health ah, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Hi, I'm James Salami. I'm studying electrical engineering and science at Monash University. So within that, um, I study uh, physics and applied maths. And within engineering, I look at, I'm particularly interested at the moment in digital design, analog design, and control theory. For physics, I've um, found a particular interest in both in condensed matter physics and and electrodynamics. So I guess I became really interested in condensed matter because I've always kind of been curious as to how solids work and what their properties are. And this is why I um, studied a bit of chemistry when I came to uni. And then I sort of found this area of physics that looks at various things like the conductive properties of metals, why certain metal, why certain substances are solid, transparent, or opaque, and why they conduct, why they have some really strange things like semiconductors, and this plays really into sort of my interest in engineering as well. Um, applied maths-wise, I guess I see maths as a way to help me understand the universe. I mean, it's often been said by um, I think someone I came to you that maths is the language of the universe, and the more I see of that, the more I'm convinced of it. So I, I really enjoy doing it because it gives me a chance to sort of be able to tackle more complicated things, either in physics or engineering. And that, some of that stuff in maths has actually been really useful for, for example, for my research project. So this summer I've taken up a, a research project at Monash. I've been looking at um, accelerating multiplication on um, field programmable gate arrays. So what this means is I've been uh, doing, essentially designing large-scale digital circuits to multiply large numbers as quickly as possible using various techniques. I've been learning sort of, I guess, the tools of the trade of a digital designer and I'm exploring sort of the current state of the art stuff and in the next couple of weeks I'll be moving into new territory and that's a really exciting thing and a really good experience. Earlier this year I was asked by Monash to um, participate in Telstra's Machine to Machine Challenge. Um, so for this project the uh, I guess the, go- the goal is to make an integrated solution that took information from the field and then applied that to some sort of service that could be used by the general public. My team developed a system that allowed a passenger to know how many people were on going to be on a train before getting on that train. And the idea of this was that you would be able to tell by carriage where would be the best carriage to sit and if it was worth delaying a train or coming a train earlier so you'd be able to get a seat. And the idea of this was to, I guess, smooth out the peak load of trains so that the system would be able to operate more efficiently, more to timetable by reducing dwell times at stations. So this, this, this formed part of Telstra's national competition and we were lucky enough to make it to the finals where we gave a presentation um, to um, some senior Telstra executives and as well as some people from Ericsson, Cisco and Netgear. They were super impressed that they gave us a win, which involved um, some opportunity to get some further help developing this from various specialised people. And that's been a really um, valuable experience because I guess learning how some of the more commercial world research can go, and that's been really interesting for me. So um, since joining um, YSA and doing Tessie, um, I've staffed quite a few Tessies, but um, beyond that I've really found a passion for teaching about science in schools. So I've um, had a position 
for a six-month contract at Trinity Grammar where I delivered um, science lessons to Year 4s and helped develop a new science curriculum. And then this year I've been running a robotics program at uh, my old school uh, where I've been doing a weekly um, robotics program for Year 7s and 8s, um, looking at um, some of the fundamentals of C programming and um, robotic control. I'm Genevieve Lacey. I'm studying a Bachelor of Engineering Biomedical with Honours at uh, Swinburne University of Technology. Um, I spent three years on the Executive Committee of YSA, one year as an MWOP and two as the Social Coordinator, where I did, uh, I, I achieved a lot of things. I organised and ran the Science Survival Challenge in, in along with Ricardo. Uh, recently, I helped run a super, was it summer, no, sorry, summer, science, summer science outreach camp alongside with a few other executive members uh, such as Ricardo, Burmy, Garth and along in conjunction with Emily Reiner, uh, where we aimed to help train up some of the younger members of the organisation in some of our common workshops such as airdrop, relay quiz and bridge building. Uh, that went quite well, everyone had a good time, even though it was freezing, some people even went swimming on the beach. <laughs> uh, my particular interests are in the human body and electrical and robotic engineering and so and applying that theory to the human body and also using it in a medical sense. Uh, I hope to one day maybe go into research and development in prosthetics. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. This week we've talked about antibiotic resistance and new developments in helping us find new ways to culture bacteria, plus ways we can keep our antibiotics working for longer. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.